Welcome to Tales from the Gemini. Uh. El Paso's Feline Fox. The Walk. I love this song. Isn't this the greatest intro song? The Garage Band. Yeah. All right. Oh, I love that, that rumble. It kinda, it's kind of Pearl Jamish, don't you think? A little Pearl Jamish? Like, first Pearl Jam. Do you know anything about Pearl Jam? You can kill it, Malik. You can kill it. You know anything about Pearl Jam at all? Why? You don't know nothing about Pearl Jam. UT, we got a new guy, and I call him TV, but his real name is Thomas. But So you guys know nothing about Pearl Jam, the greatest rock and roll band ever. Neither of us have heard of it. You never heard of Pearl Jam? No. You guys have never? Oh, my God. Oh my God! I'll give you I'll give you a pass because you're black, and that's usually so we always go. I don't know about the rock and roll. That's how we get it. But black people know about more rock and roll than we give credit for. Because we always do. We just don't want to be like I don't know the damn rock and roll. We go I love rock and roll. It's like me when I was a kid. I was the only one that came out and said I was a Kiss fan. Other black kids like rock and roll, but they didn't say it. They go, man, you a white boy. And all of a sudden, they leave me alone. They go, hey, man, I like Beth. And I go, man, really? So you let me get my ass kicked off because you didn't want to act like you was a sellout? Really? I'm the only one that had the guts to say, I like rock and roll. And you sell it as white boy. Then he go, man, I like rock and roll. He's too. here, BT. Oh, what now? He's here? Matt is here? All right, let's do it. All right, yeah. That's a weird transition, isn't it? <laughs> it's going <laughs> to Anyway, okay, here we go. I love it. Here we go. Matt! Can you hear me? Hey, BT, how you doing, buddy? Matt, how are you? The, hey, the uh, ladies and gentlemen, the performance coach, brand new papa, rugby star. This guy does it all. Plant-based diet. This guy, he, he, now I, I find out that he does Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He does martial arts. This guy is like the, the English white me. That's what he's like. How, how are you, Matt? I'm good, thanks. That's quite some introduction. Thanks Matt, for having me. Honestly, Matt, and I was I was trying to do my homework last night on you, and and honestly, I, I was trying to dig, and we stack up very well because you have one of the greatest positive minds, honestly, of anybody. Now, all joking aside, and I think that's why we connected when we first met. Because we first met through MotoGP rider Bradley Smith, who I uh, that's I, that's my heart. I love that guy. We met through him, and I knew when we first met because you had it looking around like, "Wow, who is this guy? He's a world class athlete. I can tell by the way he takes care of his body." And I, and ever since then, we have become great friends. And and I've always admired what you did. I honestly, how you coach and everything. And the more I read about you, the more you intrigue me with everything, your philosophy on life and how you relate to others and, and, and the positivity. So it is an honor to have you on this show, man. And, and the more and the greatest thing ever is you're a dad. And I and honestly, that that warms my heart because you had the kid and, and it's it's going to be the greatest thing ever in your life i mean now you'll never have a, an easy smile because you're always worried about the kid as well you should be but it's the greatest thing in life so congratulations on the kid first how, how is little otis by the way um otis is amazing he's brilliant he, yeah he is the best thing ever um certainly life has has changed and that's um i'm very honored to be here as well man thank you very much you know so first of all you know we're going to get into the, the coaching aspect the plant-based diet that uh we both do actually i do that also and also i know you do the cold water therapy like i do so we'll get into all that but let's take it back to the beginning i know you have a um, uh, rugby was your sport but uh when growing up was it all sports and then rugby was just a, your passion or what was it like growing up um yeah i guess well i guess my my first sport was soccer i played like football um we call it football here but soccer from like, the age of four i think so I, I had my like club team and was always um played soccer and then i only made the switch to play rugby when i was about 13 um but fell in, and didn't was a bit put off at first but i fell, soon fell in love with it and um yeah rugby probably holds my heart that's that's where my biggest passion is. I'm getting to that age now where I, I'm, I'm past my peak. Oh, but stop I'm, it. I'm playing, 
I'm clinging on to the last like year or two that I can still play socially. I'm not trying to hear that shit, man. I've I've got years on you. I've got years on you, and I still I still want to do some stuff because honestly, it it goes to the movie and people make fun of Rocky you know Rocky movies, but the movie Balboa, which was I think Rocky Six, when he goes, I got something in the basement. I got something still left in the basement, and when he said that, I go exactly, and that's when I took up jujitsu because honestly, be. Being a man, you know how it is. You like that physicality. I mean, you know, you've done, you know, doing rugby is physical. And, you know, and I played rugby once. And as men, we love that physicality. And you reach a certain age, we go, okay, you know, this takes over. I got a relationship. You know, you married. Now you got a kid and this and that. But, you know, you still want that physicality. And if you take care of yourself, like, you know, like you said, with with the plant-based diet that you're doing. If you saw it with Mike Tyson, now getting older, I, I call it more mature or a different level in life. You could still do things. Things, man. I mean, you just got to play smarter, not hard. You, you, you play the game smarter. Maybe not as physical, but, but you can see the game different than, say, a young kid does. Agree? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I still play rugby because physically I can't. I thought I wouldn't be able to. I had a nasty injury um, about it a couple of years ago. I dislocated my foot and broke my leg and <sighs> thought that that's, I've had enough now. But um, somehow I managed to pull my way back last year. Um, and, and yeah, definitely, I, I feel like I've played at a good level, so I'm not playing at the same, when I say I'm past my peak, I, I'm never going to play. So in the UK, we have, um, tiers like premiership, the highest level. Like I never, I would never be, I've never been that good. Um, it's like full-time professional, but I, I played like three, level three, which is two down from that. And that was kind of like where I peaked and then transitioned more towards coaching. So I'm never going to hit that level again. Um, I'm not as fast or as, as quick and agile. Stop it! Stop it! I'm still not hearing it. I'm not. I'm not hearing what you have to say. Then I, I, you're you're being very kind. I've seen your videos on Instagram. Follow my Instagram at Coach Matt Dickens, and you'll see he's he's fibbing because this guy still has it, and he. I don't know why you're you're trying to be all humble. I you still have it, so I don't want to hear that shit. Okay. Well. Yeah, maybe. But every injury you have, like rugby's a brutal game, right? So you're always playing somewhat injured and then you, you dislocate this, you break that. And, and you're always going to, every time you recover, you try and come back fitter and stronger than previously. But I think when you get older, like speed is the one thing that kind of tails off a little bit. And that was like my probably my biggest asset. Um, but yeah, but it's funny that you mentioned like the physicality because like the other big love of mine would be like MMA and, and, and fighting. And I, because of the whole COVID situation and the pandemic and like rugby is pretty much cancelled this year right. in the UK. So I've gone back to, to fighting, um, which is, which is awesome. Um, but mostly pad work because you, again, the contact like in the lockdown, you can't do anything yeah, out of the lockdown. Then maybe you can do some grappling and stuff. Um, so, but I've mostly been focusing on like stand up and striking like this week, uh, or not this week, um, like the last couple of months. And absolutely like loving that again. It's good to have that physical physicality well, in, but, in something. You but, know, you need that, to get that aggression out. But that's what men do. And honestly, that's the natural testosterone. I mean, we all want to go to to pills and and you know powders or whatever, and and go to the doctor and get a medically you know a, a shot of testosterone. But if you train the right way, you can produce testosterone naturally. Yeah, if you eat the right way, if you train the right way, I hundred percent agree. Now, now let's go back. I, you know, like I'm, I'm skipping here, but I want to go back. Like I know what you said. You know, you start playing soccer at four, and then rugby took over. And what was the passion about rugby that you uh, enjoyed? What was the what was it about? You go, okay, this is what I like right here. Was it because you were better at it than soccer, or or was it because you excelled at it more than soccer? I think early on, no, I don't think I, um, I don't think I excelled at it early on. Like when I was first like learning the game, there was certainly had some encouraging moments and, you know, you get the ball in your hands and you run with it. And um, I think it was more when I turned around 16, 17, I started to get good or I, we, and my team became good. It was more of like the cultural thing. Right. That's how when we were young, that was like the time of my life sort of thing, you know. Right. So we had like my, my best buds, we were like the best team, like around in the south of England. We had to travel to Scotland and, and BT, like national champs up there and in Ireland. And um, we had a really good team, but a sh- really strong group of friends and, and culture and um, social as well. 
um and you know and also like no worry like no worries at that time in your life and that's the and greatest that's the greatest time because you don't you don't have any money but you don't even care you know what i mean yeah yeah exactly exactly and because of because i was getting good and like always pushing the limit and that without knowing it now obviously i know a lot more about flow states and that like full immersion and losing yourself and i guess without knowing it like and not even thinking about it at the time that's where I got my flow state. That's where I got my buzz by uh, beating the guy in front of me or seeing the space, making a break, um, making like the, the try scoring, even if it's a pass or, or scoring the try and like winning like week on week. Everyone loves winning, right? So you're always on this, because we were good, we were always on this high. Um, before we were, before we got to 16, we weren't that good. And then all of a sudden we got this um, Irish coach, Billy his name was, he, he came over from Ireland and saw the potential in our team um and yeah it was just there was just a buzz all the time so for three years it was just a solid buzz solidly on a high always winning um and i think that's where that real big love and passion really manifested itself i guess okay so okay you're in rugby now you've you've been performance coaching for 10 years when did when did you realize hey maybe i want to coach and maybe i want to coach people to achieve their greatest because the thing i love about you is you want if you go on his website which is atlas health and performance dot co dot uk if you go to his you'll see that it, it's so well thought. I love it because you want people to achieve greatness. And when did you when did you come about that? Was it during while you were playing uh, when you were playing the game, or when you got out of the game and started coaching? And when did that that transition happen? You know what they say, right? If you can't do, teach. <laughs> I like that. I love that. I love that. Yes. Yes. Um, so <laughs> pretty much. Um, so when I was around like that I was never gonna go like I said I was never that good so um eventually when I was like 22 I went traveling like around the world and um ended up in playing rugby in South America in Argentina mm-hmm. um again at, at like the highest level over there um which was awesome but I got injured again uh, I had a few injuries like knees and shoulders um, which kept me out for a couple of years around my late, t- like 19, 20, 21, um, which is when you, you really kind of want to play your best. And then, so I went to Argentina as like a last effort and then dislocated my shoulder again. <sighs> but it opened my eyes to this whole world of like professional um, rugby and like essence, like strength and conditioning as a profession. Right. Um, and like physical preparation. Um, so still being in that environment, still being in that rugby environment, but working in the gym. I love training as well. Yeah. It wasn't just it wasn't just the the game. It was the getting strong in the gym, getting powerful, getting fast on the track, jumping high, all those um, those sort of things. Like the, the physical training. And I was like, oh wow, you can actually do this as a job. Um, I think. I've, and I'd already I'd done a degree in like mathematics with economics at this right. point. And I'd gone, then I'd gone travelling, and then I'd found this and I was like oh this is what I should be doing um because the whole like do what you love right and then and do do it well and get paid for it sort of thing so I came back to the UK I did a couple internships with premiership clubs over here started learning off of some real good coaches um and did a master's in strength and conditioning um over here so I went and got my like master's degree and and then just started climbing the ladder from the top basically i, I was working for free where i could i did like a personal tra- i had set up a personal training business because i figured the more people i can coach from whatever background if i can get um if i can get your grand who's 80 years old and can't bend her knees to squat pretty well then i can sure as hell get an 18 year old super talented athlete to squat pretty well so um and the more people you work with the more um different learning styles you work with, different kind of language you can use. Um, so it just enabled me to build up my skill set as a coach, which is really good. Um, and again, was like learning from like professional coaches and in full-time rugby and stuff. And and it kind of just spiraled from there. And, and my, I was set on working in rugby. And then as soon as I got my first paid role in, uh, so I worked a couple of years for free and then got my first paid role in professional rugby club. Um, I left it within a few months to work for British Diving. Really? And, and that's, you, is that where you met uh, Rick, uh, Chris, Chris Mears, right? Yeah, Chris Mears. Chris won a gold in Rio in 2016. And you trained him? 
Yeah, we trained him uh, probably, I think, 2014, 2013. For, but it, yeah, it was 2013. It was post-London 2012 for two years. Um, and, yeah, that was based down in Southampton over here. Huh? That was... That was great. How fulfilling was that? I mean, when you, uh, you, you know he, he achieved his goals because of what you did or helped him achieve. I, you know, it, 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 it comes down to the athlete eventually, but that preparation, you were part of that preparation. Even though it's an individual sport, there is a team aspect involved. So how, I mean, how fulfilling was it? And that, is that what made you go, okay, I'm here for a while because I love watching this. I love watching somebody achieve their goals. Yeah, yeah. or in spite of what I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, there's nothing wrong with that I think that's a that's a question you always have to ask yourself um, uh, physical preparation is important but uh, because it's like my role I never want to get blind or short sighted in the fact that it's a big piece of the puzzle right. it's still a small piece of the puzzle like the sport comes first the skill acquisition and the skill development is like the biggest piece it's the be all and end all if they're not super talented athletes at what they do then like you know in motorsport if they can't drive the car if they can't ride the bike then doesn't matter how fit and strong they are okay okay here's a go okay now it's correct me please correct me if i'm wrong here i I know you do the physical part but do you do do you climb into their mental do you help them mentally or or do you just stick back and go okay you know do these stretches here do this exercise here and let's you know uh, check your whatever your vitals and then go ahead or do you actually talk to them like okay here's what you got to do to reach your potential on the track or whatever or on the or on the pitch uh, do you climb into their mental also or is it just strictly physical yeah it depends bits and pieces um some athletes are open to it a lot more than others um, my background was very much in physical preparation. So that's where the first seven years of my career really was. When I switched to motorsport, um, you take up this role as performance coach and you're like the go-to guy for all the performance variables. So I've got some amazing contacts with um, like specialists in nutrition, specialists in psychology, um, and, and and even better than me with fitness and um and sleep, for example, and then if you're the if you're the go-to guy for that driver or for that rider, then you you know if a question comes up that you don't know, then you can lean lean back onto the onto the specialist. If but at the end of the day, you should be uh, the guy who has the broad knowledge and take an interest, a massive interest in in, um, in all of those areas. So yes, and I'm a big believer in. Like NLP and just creating a positive environment. And right? you do, so, and you do do that. I can honestly say because I've seen you, and you do do that. I mean, you bring it. I've seen you bring in Bradley's leathers. I was, you know, I've been there. So I can honestly, I'm just talking out of my ass. I've been there and seen that. I remember when we were in Valencia, and it was like, you know, Bradley invited me in, and we're talking. Then you came in, and it's like, hey. You know, I, I got to get down to business and you bought, you know, you bought the little bands in. He's about to do his. And I thought that was so great. It was time for him to get down to business. And I left. I knew when to leave. And I love that aspect of it. And do they, you think they respect you more because you were an athlete yourself at a, at a top level? You think that plays a, a little bit into that, that they respect you because you kind of know what you're doing? And that, uh, as, and that aspect. I mean, because I think it's different if you're coming in. Let's say like a, you're just a muscle head. Like, you ever do any sports? Like, you talk to guys that, you know, a big muscle. No, I never do any sports. All I'll do is lift weights. And you go, well, you know what the fuck you're talking about then? Well, I know that, you know, you, you just got to go for it. And you go, man, get up. Yeah. But you've been there. You've been on the pitch. You've been injured. You know what it's like to play injured. You, you know, you, you had to suck it up and, you know, tuck them and go. So they're going to look at you like, okay. Not only is he training me and he's saying something in my ear, I'm going to respect him because he's been there before. He's gone through it. He, you know, he, he, he's been through the jungle. So do you think that plays a part in it and the, the respect they have for you? Possibly. I think, it's, I think you've got to find common ground with whoever you're working with, right? Whether that be like um, joint interests in like comedy or like no learning. Com- comedy's totally different Com- i mean it's just me it's nobody else but me it's all me all me all the time that's where the common interest is you know between me and bradley we just both love you so it's- <laughs> <laughs> you kiss ass okay but, but 
<laughs> okay, let me ask you this. How did it, how did it, how did you make the transition to motorsport? Because you come from a rugby background. So how did all of a sudden somebody go, hey, I think you'd be good doing motorsport. And what, and what made you go, you know what? I think I'd try that, even though it's out of your comfort zone. How? Well, life's all about who you know, right? So um, I, so after working with Chris Mears um, in diving, I actually moved to Andorra to lead the strength and conditioning and physical prep for their national ski team. Um, and the one thing about Andorra, right, is most MotoGP riders live in Andorra. Yes, yes. So after a few after a few years, I was there for three years leading their physical prep, and so proud and so happy with what we achieved in that time. It was, it was brilliant. It was a it was a really fantastic time. My life, beautiful country, great place to live. Um, very isolated, and they're very much in their own bubble. So there's a lot of there were some very headstrong people and a couple of clash of personalities, but that's part of like working in, in pro sport and, and totally get that. And then who clashed, who clashed? I want to hear who clashed. Uh, like technical coaches or like one, one in particular technical coach who uh, was a very, a very stressful guy and put a lot of stress on other people. And I'm all about bringing a positive environment, but it, it started to get to me to the point where I, you know, I could move on. Right. And um, the, after I'd been there for a couple of years, I knew Bradley lived there. We had a mutual connection. Um, we'd have met each other a couple of times in the gym and I started doing his, just writing his strength program. So stuff in the gym, like he, he had a trainer before, but he didn't find the stuff in the gym he was doing was like that worthwhile. So we worked together for a year, um, just me writing his program and he, he loved it. He, he felt a real, real benefit of it. Um, he invited me down to Barcelona, um, GP, um, can't remember what year it was now it must have been about five years ago now um and like kind of it was amazing took the missus down there like fantastic environment we we're in the paddock um unfortunately he crashed out that day and um so you know kind of chatting in the back of his truck um he was riding for monster tech three at the time and um just like have, starting to have conversations and again from that like whole performance perspective and like not observing certain things and it was like oh do you do this could you do this could you do this better and and starting to have that chat and then and the following year he was switching to ktm um and that would be his like big like um obviously unfortunately it didn't work out as well as might have hoped but that was like he wanted to take his performance to like to the next level have a guy like work with him full time and and yeah so so it kind of naturally evolved well yeah that i'd love to do that i mean i could move back to the uk to live travel with my gp and you to to work we can still do like the remote like training side of things and then i'm there on site for all the performance stuff um i did some qualifications in sports massage because i think that's a really beneficial tool for recovery um and then really just i'd already had a huge knowledge on like nutrition but took a even deeper knowledge just in all the, all the other areas um around like holistic performance um yeah and, and i think that's where my natural kind of role and pro um like personality was like progressing towards anyway yeah and it was kind of, it kind of, it worked out really well. Well, tell me this. Why is it of all the athletes, fucking MotoGP guys, motocross guys, and, 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 and race car drivers, they never, po- they never post their workouts. Everybody else, you know, soccer players, football players over here, American football, they post their workouts on muscle and fitness, whatever, and you can do them. But, but MotoGP guys are like, shh, I'm not telling nobody. And they never, I, I, I specifically asked this one guy at, at, a, at, a, at a, it was a bike uh, event or whatever, and I go, hey, what's your workout? What do you do? And he danced around the question, and nobody ever tells what they do as a workout, and it's so frustrated that's the only thing i hate about those guys so what is it they do tell me so i can do it because you you see what i do you've been around me so what i do I honestly from being from loving moto gp what i do is what i do now is oh is your baby up everything good no no i think my neighbor is um drilling something in the wall so oh you, you are you gonna go and beat him up and show your mma skills we get on really well with the neighbors. Okay, so I'm just, okay. I was just, just asking if you want me to. I'll fly over and have a little talk with you if you want me to. I mean, I could be the bad guy if you want me to. If you want me to. But but the thing about it is, I mean, I, from being around MotoGP, I said to myself, that's how I want to be. I want to be. I have the physique of a MotoGP racer. So that's why I took up cycling, and that's why like I, it's more my uh, uh, workouts now are more aerobic. I don't lift heavy weights anymore. So what are their workouts, and why are they so secretive about what they do? 
Okay, so the first thing is, I think, like, I've reached into like quite a few of the riders and I know them, um, not not very not really well, but I kind of had a, have a feel of like what they do, and everyone seems to do very different things. Um, I'm a big believer in the best program is the one that works for you. Right, right. It's, right. What you, it's what you enjoy the most. It's what you put the most effort into, and it's the one you can do the most consistently. Um, so you take two. Two riders, for example, um, unless you spell Barrow, all he does is cycling. And all he does. That's all he does. All he does is cycling. And he, and Cal Crutchlow as well, all he does is cycling. They, they're, all they're doing is on the, on the bike. Um, they probably could do like a bit of core work, a bit of strength work, a bit, bit of different things. Um, but all they do is cycling. He's got... Um, a great, they've got a great base of aerobic fitness, which the aerobic fitness will massively help them like recover like day to day between sessions and obviously perform at a high level on the bike. One other thing you've got to understand is at, off of a MotoGP bike, you can't replicate being on a MotoGP bike. Yes. So yes. Any training that you do, any training you do is just going to be general. It's only going to have so much carryover. You could, you could be strong as an ox, but it's only going to carry over to the bike a little bit. You could be fit as Lance Armstrong, but it's only going to carry over to being on the bike a little bit. Right. And then, but for example, Fabio, Fabio doesn't cycle. He runs. So there's not, there's not necessarily any difference between what you do. It's what you enjoy. Like Fabio, Fabio runs loads. Right. And he's got this, a really good level of aerobic fitness and that carries over to being on the bike. But at the end of the day, they're super talented at being on a MotoGP bike. I never thought of it that way. And it's so simple, but it's the truth. It's, it's whatever works for you. And it's the truth. I mean, I, I think I'm a little too bulky to be like a bike. I mean, but I, I enjoy cycling now. Like I'm not as big as I used to be. I used to be 238. I mean, I used to look like you, but only better. I mean, I was, I was more cut. I was just huge. So I understand that now. It, whatever works for you. And like it, it doesn't replicate being on a MotoGP bike because nothing does. But also, but can you? You get your aerobics up. I mean, your like uh, anaerobic, uh, uh, like cardio, basically up for. Uh, moto- Can you prepare that better for being a MotoGP bike? Because people don't realize that's forty-five minutes of you at the highest concentration level with your heart rate. What about 180, 180 beats per minute for forty-five minutes? Unless you're Maverick, who stay, who flatlines at one twenty, and nobody understands that. How does he do that? How does he do that? Honestly. <laughs> I think there's either something wrong with that heart rate monitor or, or he's a, he's a, he's a true alien. He's a true alien. Uh, I, I heart I, just the size of like <laughs> a watermelon because it's just like, pump, pump, and he gets all the bloody knees. But like you, you get freaks like that. But, um, but for most of the guys, yeah, it's like 180 plus for 40 minutes. You're in the red and like you're hanging off that bike and you're also performing on the absolute limit. Yes. <laughs> so like mentally, like it's such a high skill level. Um, and, and don't forget the bike weighs like, um, 160 kilos there. It's a heavy piece of machinery to chuck, to chuck around and then take up to 300 kilometers an hour and, and break under like great, like huge G forces four or five G. How can you replicate that being a trainer that no, no offense that you've never raced before. So how can you go, okay, we're going to do a program. I mean, do you work on balance moves? Do you work on like strength for your shoulders? Cause you got to handle the bike. I mean, how do you go about that? That, that you've never raced before, but imp- implementing a program that, that is going to work and be beneficial to, to uh, your racer. Okay. So the, there's two things. To, to address i think um the the aerobic side of things is massively important mostly because the the nature of racing is um two sessions three days consecutive so you've got to have a huge aerobic base just to be able to recover between those sessions right and then what the, the race itself is on the third day so you really like after two days of like heavy riding and pushing it in a qualifying then you've got to perform at your peak on the third day so you've got to have a high level of aerobic and like i said i think what's going to carry over most is probably what you enjoy and, and what you put the effort into the um and like little things around helping your recovery whether that be massage whether that be um like taking a bath or or like just getting nailing your food like that's the most important thing nailing your sleep but that's another important thing um and there's a couple maybe supplements that you might help as well just reduce that muscle soreness so but on the, on the sunday if you if you think about just the race performance 
personally, I think you can design like circuits with various like upper lower body move, like full body movements that perhaps could be beneficial to the rider as an individual. Okay. Because one thing that's often neglected for people who just spend all their time on a bicycle and all their time on a motorbike, then they're in a very fixed position. Like it's a horrible posture. Right. Like you see, you see people like, without wanting to name names, there's a couple of riders who have like that really hunched, like not like hunched back um, posture. They have really rounded shoulders. And for the longevity of that athlete, probably like they're going to be suffering from a lot of back pain, a lot of like um, physical pain, like week on week or chronic issues that is going to affect their performance later on in their career. So I'm a big believer in, there's a lot of supplementary work that you can do like mobility and strength training through like good ranges that aren't specific to riding a motorbike, but they're specific to the athlete and the longevity of your career. Bradley used to suffer from lower back pain, like chronically, like week on week on week. And that was something that we addressed is like, okay, you can, you can sit on a, on a motorbike and you can put, you're like world-class, but when you do a squat, you look like you're on a motorbike and you, you know, like there's your, your core strength is probably really good on a motorbike, but day to day in general, it's, it's not amazing. It's not as great as it could be. So, or there's certainly imbalances when you, when you drop racing around in circles, the same direction, like week on week, you're going to get like imbalances. Right. So let's address those. Let's address your mobility. Let's address your movement quality. Let's get you strong as fuck to, so that you can that you know tolerate the loads of being on the bike so much easier you know if you if you're the load that you're under on the bike is like your maximum then that's a big strain week on week right but if you, if you can lift 200 kilos and being on the bike is only 100 kilos so you're only like pushing like 50 percent of your max then actually like riding the bike can become comparatively easy so personally i think that there's ways of incorporating the movements that you you need to do like maybe corrective exercises um like and like stability around your hip or core into like circuits um that can be like kind of aerobic-y anaerobic um and quite beneficial and then also you can do like body weight circuits using like non-specific methods like a ski erg and battling ropes and very like upper body orientated and a rowing machine for example but if you're working like consistently building up that base towards 40 minutes, that's going to be like, that's going to transfer to being on a bike because it's putting your heart rate at a high, high level and that blood is being sent to your upper body um, rather than necessarily to your lower body, like cycling and running where, okay, you need to be fairly strong to stand on the foot legs on a bike but it's mostly upper body and core orientated. Do you, that makes sense? Oh yeah, definitely. Do you love that? Do you love that aspect of the challenge of that? I mean, do, do you like tackling that? I mean, especially when it first happened, did, did you really, really enjoy? I mean, like, okay, this is, I'm out of my comfort zone. I really got to focus. Cause you know, once you get, somebody said this before and it makes sense. If you go out of your comfort zone, it's great because you have to be more focused like, okay, you know, I'm getting in an area I'm not really comfortable in. So I really, really, really have to focus on what I'm doing. I'm, I'm extra focused. So when you went to bikes and motorsports and helping Bradley, whatever, did, did you did it make you go, okay, I really, really have to hone in because I want this guy to get, be the best and to trust me that I'm, I'm going to be able to prepare his body for this mentally and physically. Yeah, I, I love that challenge of learning and I, I love like problem solving and solving puzzles. So like I said, everyone's different, right? So you've got to find, and you've also got to work with what people believe. Right. Because when you're working with um, an athlete, the longer they've been in the game, they've already got all these um, preconceived ideas and, and beliefs and beliefs that come as a culture of the sport. Right. And beliefs come from like the people that they've worked with and learned from before. And there's no point, there's never any point like trying to fight things because if you tell, you know, just because you believe something different, like, it doesn't make either one of you right, right. okay? And you're going to get mixed from resistance. You know, if you challenge someone, it's your, our human instinct to defend ourselves. So effectively, you've got to work with what people believe and what people enjoy and, you know, find the path. And there's no, there's no perfect way or right way. You've just got to, you've got to do the best you can with what you've got. 
Well, I know, I know you like to like call out bad PTs on your Insta stories. So what happened like in Qatar when you did that? And <laughs> shame, shame on that man. Just tell me what happened. I just want to know. Like, I know you call out bad PTs on Insta stories. So what happened in Qatar when that happened? Yeah. I, I'm dying to hear. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm. I have very strong principles and you know, there's only so much, and I don't like bullshit. Right? I'm just, I just don't like bullshit. And that, you know, when you try and do something at a high, high standard, you have a high standard, you end up having high expectations of other people. Of course. And obviously you start as a personal trainer, but I done my um, accreditation with the UK Shrinking Edition Association. I've got a master's degree. Um, working, I believe movement is the most important thing, and um, when you're working with people's bodies and their health, yes, um, good and good movement leads to strong, efficient individuals. Um, they can move safely and effectively. And when people move like crap, which most people move like crap, at some point at the end of the day, they're going to end up in pain. Whether that's they lift something up poorly and they get an acute injury. Or it just compounds day on day, week on week, moving like crap. And eventually they get like these chronic issues like tendon problems or herniated discs or, you know, stress, whatever it may be, like um, joint pain, muscle pain. Um, And I think that in my personal opinion, there's a very strong view. Personal trainers, number one responsibility towards the health of the person who is paying for your services should be to help them move well. Yes, I, I agree whole. I agree wholeheartedly because what I see is pathetic in my gym. Yeah, so mo- but most personal trainers don't give a shit or don't even know about that. They All they think is, oh, I've got to put this person through some hard exercise and if they're sweating and in pain, then they're going to pay me money because they sadistically think that that's what they should be paying for. And that's, what's going to make them come back. And there's this emphasis on, you've got to burn as many calories as possible in the next hour. And I'm going to, and even though you're fat and overweight and you can't even squat, I'm going to make you do burpees and jump. And, you know, eventually it's going to lead to some instability at your knee or your ankle, but that's out of my, I don't even, I can't even see that. I don't care about that. I just got to get, but you just got to burn some calories right now and you've got to be sweating and, and out of breath. Um, and that's a really general, blasé, stereotype, judgmental, critical, horrible thing of me to say. But for m- I genuinely believe that whilst there are some amazing personal trainers out there, some amazing coaches, um, and I won't take anything away from them, most PTs do more harm than good. <laughs> so what happened like on the first day of the job in guitar with the rental car i heard that you like side swapped a, a, a concrete barrier oh you've really been digging it's your first day on the job and then you get a rental car and you side swipe the concrete so what happened there i mean can you drive what happened have you ever been to Qatar? I've been to Qatar. I love Qatar. I, matter of fact, I've been. To, I was supposed to go again, and as I'm getting on the plane, they stop me and they go, "Your passport's no good." Even though it didn't expire until five months later, no one told me there's a law or there's something that air, airlines can say if it expires under under five months, they can stop you from flying. And it's a, and you don't understand, Matt. I literally was about to get on the plane. They go, oh, you can't go because your passport is going to expire in five months. And they said no. And I had my bag with me and they stopped me from going. And because Bradley, he goes, hey, I thought you'd just be here. And I go, long story. I was so pissy. Yes, that actually happened. So, yeah, I've been to guitar. So you're not getting out of this. So, like, what happened with the, with the rental car and hitting a concrete barrier? What happened? Oh, that sucks, man. <laughs> um, okay, so the roads are different in guitar. Of course. Um, Really, really funnily, I've been to Qatar about four, no, about six or seven times now. Okay. Every time you go, the roads change. So every time you go from the from the center of the town, um, like on the Pearl or wherever you're staying, so from the hotel to the track, the road has been have taken a different way to the track every single time because the, they change the road, road layouts all the time. Anyway, can't use that as an excuse on the first time I was there. <laughs> but the um, basically, there's a, there was like a um a turn off 
to the main road. And in the UK and Europe and any other roads that I've ever driven on, when you're joining like an intersection, your, your road like has like a runoff. Right. It goes, goes into the main road. Right. 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 And, then eventually, and then eventually it cuts off. So you have time to turn into like the main lane. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's what I expected it to be, but I wasn't expecting it. I've come around the corner, and then there's this massive, like, coach or truck that's come, like, swinging past, and I'm like, holy shit, I thought that was my lane. And so I've, like, pulled to the right, bumped up onto, like, a bollard, bumped back down again, missed the, missed the coach, joined the lane, safely taken off, no damage to the car. I was like... Ah, Bradley, Bradley's there like, what's happened, Matt? Alan, his dad's in the back. Like, just, just, you, Bradley, have you just employed this guy for the season? Or what's going on? Like, that's yeah, it, that's don't, it. Don't mind that, boys. That was, you know, just in for the ride, you know? That's your first day on the job. Your first day on the job, you get the client in almost a, a fender bender with his daddy. With his daddy. That, that, <laughs> hey, there's no place to go but up from there. No place to go but up from there. That's a good story, right? Man, that's awesome, dude. That is great, man. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I'll, get, I'll get you as fit as anything, but I can't promise to get you to the track safely. <laughs> if we ever get together, I'll do the driving. I'll do the driving if we ever get together. Now, here's what I wanted to ask you this. And this was a delicate subject, and I wanted that because you've seen me. I geek out so much at GP. I'm always like, ah. but I also know that I'm. I also know I can be a, a little bit much for people if they, if they don't know me. I can be a little bit much, so I know when to stay away from people. So, and the hardest thing was I think it was last year we were in Valencia, and, and Bradley had a chance for the championship. You know, they do the double header with Moto E, and I just remember, man. You know, being you know being an athlete and done, and sometimes it just doesn't work out. And I never, I, I didn't see him before the races, and I, and I purposely did it that way because I didn't, you know, I know what he was going through. I mean, I had you know feeling like oh he has a chance to win the championships. So I didn't want to be in there and da, 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 you know have my all, my frantic energy around. So I went and watched the race from uh, like a suite or a, a, a booth or whatever, and I watched it, and I watched both races, and I just felt this emptiness and I felt so bad because you can't say anything and I want to but you know I've been there before where you know like you know I used to wrestle so when I lost in wrestling I had a chance to become state champion I had a chance to be a regional champion and I lost to the same guy two weeks in a row and I just and no one could say anything to you in that situation you just want to say hey, man could you just leave me the fuck even, even though they want to be nice and put their hand on your shoulder and say hey it's gonna you just don't want to hear it so I didn't know what to do and I remember he came out for the for the trophy ceremony and I said, hey, you know, I think I was with you, I think. You know, we say, hey, Brad. But what is it like for you be, being the coach, being his performance coach? And like, you know, and like I said, it just didn't work out. And it just didn't. And I felt so empty. And it, but how is it like for you to be in that situation where it's your client? And, you know, I think it's a friendship there. It's more than just a client. I, I mean, I think that's your friend. And like I said, it just didn't work. So what do you do in that situation? Do you say anything? Do you not say anything? Or do you like, I mean, what, is, what was it like for you? in that situation well look you know he still came second so it wasn't like the worst thing in the world it wasn't like oh yeah yeah and 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 it was a complete disaster he still came second in the championship i think the the heartbreaking thing about it wasn't that weekend because he was so close to winning the championship it was more um just on the reflection of what had happened earlier in the season where there was a couple of things that were completely out of his control. Yeah. Where one, they had he had to he had to race and, and start a race with his battery not fully charged. Um, and by the like the last two laps, he just died and and he lost a few places. Um, and that, but I can't remember the ins and outs of why that happens. You have to speak to Bradley because his memory is a lot better than mine. But that's um, certainly affected like the total points at the end of the season. And there's another race where he got just taken out. Yeah. Um, that's, that's Moto E, though. Moto E is like the electric version of Moto 3. It, it really is. Those guys go in there like hell or high water. You're like, hey, man, you know, you got this guy about seven or eight laps. It's going to be okay. But they they go all for one in that one turn and take out people, and they don't even say sorry. And it's like, that's kind of, and that's kind of bullshit. But it's also, that's racing. I mean, it, it, it happens, unfortunately, you know. The guys in that championship have really got something to prove, you know. Like, they're like, 
they all want to be in like the main championship. So they're like, yeah, I'm just going to risk everything, put it all on the line. And if I take you out with me, I don't care. Oh, well, yeah. They're like, oh, well, I mean, cause it, it in, in a way it, that, that, and that's difficult to say because it's like, I don't want to shit on Moto E and I don't, and, and I definitely not shit on the riders. I mean, those guys are great, but like you said, they really don't want to be there. They want to be someplace else. So like you said, they're going just bull, balls out or whatever and to get what they got to get. And if, oh, I, I took you out. Oh, well, sorry, not sorry. So, man, but when that happened that weekend, man, I just, oh, I just remember going to eat that night. I think I was by myself, and I just was like, in like a funk. I was like, God damn it, Brad. And I wanted to say something to him, but I couldn't. So I was like, I had to just hold it in. And I, I just wanted to know, and I always wanted to ask you, what was it like from your end, man? Like that day, did you, after the races were over and everybody cleared out, did you did you talk to him at all? Did you say anything about the race? Or, or did you just like watch him change and go, Okay, I guess I'll see you later. But I mean, what what did you do? Um, yeah, it was a bit. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily awkward. Like we, the most awkward thing was we went to the award ceremony and he didn't tell me about the award ceremony beforehand. So like, I'm like trying to scrape together some half decent clothes. Like I just rock up in like my training gear and like my Bradley Smith jumper, my Bradley Smith t-shirt, and I'm like excuse me, like we, we are going, because previously we, we never bothered going to the award ceremony. So this year we're going, we're going and like, ah, oh, I should have bought a tux. Thanks for letting me know, Brad. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, and, and also like Will, who's like the videographer, was in the same boat. And I'm like, a tux? I haven't even got smart shoes. So anyway, that was funny. Um, so there, there was that. And then there, there was other like dynamics of like, was I going to, like continue working with him for the following year as well so we kind of just we just made a made the most of the night and had a, had a good night like we cele- we celebrated coming second in the championship that's that's a, the end of the day that's what he did and he achieved and he achieved that so so that was all good um we went for a nice meal and then um and yeah and then the next you know we kind of started putting the plans in place for the following year Okay, well, I, like I said, I, that was the one I, you know, that's a touchy subject. And I didn't want to step on toes, but I just was curious about that, you know. And I know the the effect you have on him because we went out to eat in Austin. I don't think you were with us, or were you? We went to eat in Austin. It was me, Bradley, and a couple other people. The bill came like five hundred dollars, four hundred dollars. But I, but I remember Bradley was like, "You're gonna eat that?" Because it was like a, I think a piece of bread that they bring to the table. And Brad was like, "You're gonna put that in your body?" And I was like, "Well, I guess not now because you said that shit." And it had to be a direct correlation to you and and honestly looking back on now i'm glad he did that because now what and i like the ease into it is and we only have a little bit of time but i love talking about your your uh transverse to uh, a plant-based diet and i you know and i love how, how people they want to call you the vegan athlete you know let's just say plant-based and it's like and my thing is why is it do you think people have such a negative attitude like why don't you eat meat why not and, and it, like i don't understand that almost it's like vitriol they're coming at you with and i think it's great for me personally i've heard you talk about this on what you did on an ethical reason which i think is great for me personally i just thought that and a friend said it best i ran into a vegan bodybuilder and he goes you know what animals know when they're going to die like a, a cow when you go to a slaughterhouse they know what's going on a pig knows so you know they're stressed out they're knowing okay this is it so you're eating that stress. You know, animals have souls. So you're eating that stress. So that goes into your body. And that's what's going to cause, you know, some, I mean, I mean, you can disagree or disagree with it. I mean, I like to hear your point of view on that. But and when I when he when he broke it down like that, I was like, yeah. And I was already going to go vegetarian anyway. So I just want to know, like, real briefly, like you, what's your your take on people's negativity toward when you said you're going to a plant based diet and and just the, the overall, uh, the way society looks at it. And, and, and why did you go plant-based? Um, okay, so a couple of things like, that you mentioned there. Just one really interesting one about eating that stress, that negativity of the, the, um, the animal that knows it's going to die. I think that's really important because um, that sounds a bit like mumbo-jumbo, but the more that we learn about like mRNA or microRNA, like, that is so true. Like um, your body's just releasing all these like stress hormones and chemicals and, and saying that I'm in a stress, like stay on about to die and we're like super anxious. And then that go, that does go into the meat and that is what people are eating. And that's what the, like, the latest science kind of says. Um, so science really supports that. 
Um, secondly, like my dog is like, asleep behind me, and um, I love my dog, right? But and if I but if I hit my dog in the face or if I took a knife to, knife too slow, he's really going to be very stressed and anxious. My my dog is a, a bit of a rescue dog. He gets quite stressed and anxious as it is, and you, you treat him bad. Like they have that emotions, that feelings, and yeah, one once upon a time, or four years ago, or so I I suddenly made that connection um, with oh, but. But my dog isn't like the only animal that feels that way. Like pigs are more intelligent than dogs and cows are in, intelligent. And if you look them in the eye and like, I, I, I suddenly had this feeling of not wanting to, like I could, and I have killed animals in the past. Right. Um, and I'll, I'll openly say that like chickens and I've shot rabbits and been fishing and that sort of thing. And I've um, eaten my life's worth of sushi. Um, but the, yeah, I suddenly just, decided no I, I don't want to cause that pain and if i'm not going to do it myself and if i'm not going to take the knife myself then i'm certainly not going to pay somebody else to do it because i'm a massive believer in aligning our actions with our values um, and if it's my value that i don't want to cause those animals harm um then my action to then pay for it is it, just is going against what i value so i don't believe that that would lead lead to a happy fulfilled life so if i'm going to be happy and fulfilled then i've got to align my actions with my values right um but then the main point that you wanted to that you were talking about is why is there so much negativity yes. behind, behind people okay and i really simply it's because and okay in my opinion it's because just by not eating me and being ethically perhaps against it you're automatically challenging what other people believe. Okay. And yes. once you challenge, once you challenge someone's belief system, yes. whether you're right or they're right, and there is no right and wrong, like we we operate from our own belief systems and everyone has different belief systems. I'm not necessarily right, I just have my own belief systems. They're like they're, I don't believe there's a right or wrong. Like it's just you're challenging their belief system. And it's our human instincts and our like natural, um, like in a chimp call it, our emotional reaction is to defend what we believe. That's why there's wars over religion. That's why most people, in fact, go to war or even have arguments. At the end of the day, that's why most conflict exists is because two people have different belief systems or different beliefs and they're, they're challenging each other and then and consequently defending what one another believes. Okay, so in a way, is it so much belief system or what you've been shoved down your, I mean, what you've been force fed your entire life? Look at the United States. I mean, I don't want to get into politics. Look at the United States. I mean, they've been force fed. This is the greatest country on earth. And you can't talk to those people. I mean, and, and you see it now. I mean, from your outside looking in, you can see what's going on now. I mean, it's like, I like to step outside the bubble and they're saying all this, oh, it's the greatest country on earth. I go, really? Well, basically, you've treated a certain group of people in this country, uh, basically, You've been domestic terrorists to basic uh, to, uh, to other Americans in this country since, since since the inception of it, and they know it. I mean, the greatest domestic terrorist attack in American soil was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm from Oklahoma originally, so I know this. Back in the 20s, that was the largest domestic terrorism, and and they, and they want to acknowledge it. And there's money that should be given to the black community in Tulsa, Oklahoma that that they did, their own citizens did on other citizens of color. I mean, uh, African Americans had their own their, their own basically they had their own air ports they had their own businesses and everything and because of a trumped up charge they end up destroying they even bought in military planes they'll deny it but they bought in military planes and bombed the certain area. so their belief system that, that that's their belief system they did nothing wrong even though that was domestic terrorism so they're being fed a certain like oh this is it and we're never going to deter from this and they go that's not that's not so much right is that you being force fed so you you think that's right but that's not right. So if somebody says, hey, man, how about this? And go, no, 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 it can't be. This is the way it's always going to be. And that's the way I look at it. It's sports in a way. It's like, you know, if you're a football player, well, you got to eat a steak before a meal. Be the steak and the steak and potatoes. And that's the way it is to be big and strong. And then somebody said, you know what? 
How about uh, we make t- uh, tasty tofu and we season it and make it taste great? Or we take a, a tempeh, make it like a steak. Or we take, a, you know, you, you'll get just as many uh, protein from black beans. And, no, no, no. That, that's a bunch of hogwash. It's hippie talk. I mean, I think that's what it is. You're, I don't think so much they believe it as they've been force fed it so much that it's just a, a way of, uh, it's like somebody saying, uh, people get upset here when they go happy holidays instead of saying Merry Christmas. They go out of their fucking minds. Happy holidays. What do you mean? No, it's Merry Christmas. I mean, they go fucking ape shit here. And that's what, I, and, and it, it, it amazes me because I step away from it. I really do. I'll never be a USA, USA kind of guy. So uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead, buddy. Go ahead. But BT, they're one in the same, dude. Like what you've been force fed is what you believe. It ends up being what you believe. Like the, on a basic level, the human brain is just the computer, right? You program it. And like all those years of like culturally, environmentally, like your parents, your school, like the people you hang out with, like the things that you see on the TV, the things that you see on social media, they funnel you down that certain way. And that shapes, that shapes your belief system. That, that the whole thing shapes your belief system. And then it only takes, um, well, and, and the hardest thing is that by human nature, we actually choose, and this is the whole way that social media works, we, we choose to look into subjects that reconfirm what we already believe. Yes. But it's, it takes a huge amount of emotional intelligence, um, and only some people have it. Only some people have that growth mindset, and some people have that emotional intelligence to challenge what we instinctively believe and be open to the possibility of other beliefs and be open to changing our thoughts and think laterally and yeah and and the ideas of others and the fact there could be more than one right answer or no right answer you know? Totally non sequitur, but that reminded me, and I, and this is totally different. This is the mind of a Gemini. <laughs> you said emotional intelligence. Do you remember this year when uh, Miguel Oliveira got pissed off at Alexi, uh, at Paul Espargo, and he said, "Not everybody's born with the same emotional intelligence." You remember he said that? He said that this oh, year, and man, and Espargo uh, got so mad. And he goes, I, "I can't believe he said that." And then he goes, he didn't even apologize. He got so mad, and I had to throw that in there because he said what you said. He goes, "Not everybody's born with the same intelligence," and man, and Paul Espargo got so mad, and he, I mean, I'm reading it and I'm laughing, and he said he never even apologized. I said so when you said that it just made me laugh but it's the truth man but I just but that, that's I love that, that that's why I loved having you on here and I love getting the research on you because and I'm not even kissing ass it's just it takes a lot for what you did and I always applaud people who step outside that and go hey let me explore this and let me not you know okay I've been taught this but let me go over here and check this out for my own and for myself and it's like I hear you say that and I and, and that's what made me go I love the way you think on that like you know think outside of the box it's not better or worse it's just it's just going to be different I mean if you can arrive at the same place and you know do a different method Big deal, but some people, you know, they they just they they get their panties in a bunch. Yeah, right. It's about working. It's not just working hard. At the end of the day, it's about being smart. And, and, and you're a smart man, my friend. And real quick, oh my God, real quick, uh, what was it like? I know you have your plant based ebook, which is called uh, Helmet. What's your plant based ebook called? Uh, Thrive on a plant-based diet. Thrive on a plant-based diet. It's all vegan recipes, which I'm going to get my friend. I really am because I'm, I'm, I'm borderline vegan. I'm vegetarian, borderline vegan. You know, I'm kind of like that guy who like, uh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. You know, those, those kind of people, I kind of walk that line, you know, like backslide or whatever. So I'm going to get that. But you, did you, you work with Lewis Hamilton on that book, didn't you? Do you know that? Um, I don't shout about that very often, but it is where it came from. Yeah. So I did his, um, some nutrition stuff for him. Um, I don't know how you even know that. Oh, man, I, I, do, I do everything, buddy. I don't tell, I don't tell anyone that. Like, I've done some training with him before. How is he? Yeah. How is he? How is Lewis? I mean, I, I, wanted, I want to get him on this show so bad. I just, that is my, and honestly, it's, not, it's almost not even from the athletic standpoint. It's just from the standpoint, 
from what he where he's at, and I mean, he didn't have to do what he did this year. I and mean, that was one of, that was the one of the few positive points of COVID is he brought the attention to racism, and he didn't even have to. And he, you know, he he wore the uh, Justice for Breonna Taylor uh, shirt on the on the on the podium, and he took a stand against that when he doesn't have to. He's one of the biggest athletes in the world, and what he did, and that's what made him he just love him even that much more. But what was he like to train with, and what's he like behind the you know the, behind closed doors or behind the when the camera's not on yeah uh look, i met him a handful of times um the, the he's i think he's he comes across as a great guy um i don't understand why in the media he gets a lot, a lot of people give him a lot of stick i really don't understand that i think um he's a he's a really great guy he turned up real professional like trained really hard when i worked worked with him um and i was always like like keen to learn and and even bumped into him outside the gym like just always like been very open to talk which is I think is a really really great thing um and also just I love the way that he's um trying to like always using his platform for good and really yes. trying to get better and better like he got so much he, get, he still today gets in the UK people give him so much shit about having that plane and it being registered on the Isle of Man where like Everyone in the UK who has a private plane has it registered in the Isle of Man to save tax. So go and pick on someone else or, or pick on everyone if you're going to pick on one person. And then within like a year or two, he sold it. And this year, he was the only F1 guy to actually live in his motorhome, travel from race to race, like by car or in his motorhome and stay in the motorhome on like trackside. Like everyone else was staying in hotels and like flying backwards and forwards from from airports and like doubling up or tripling up on their carbon footprint and like Lewis was like in the motorhome like the whole season didn't even stay in a hotel uh, so you you've got to have a respect for that because he is again he's aligning his actions with his values he's he's preaching a lot about the environment a lot about um, like racism and stuff but it's it's stuff that he believes in strongly and he's he's not trying to he's not just saying it because he sh- thinks he should or he can he's because he's trying to at that way as well. And I would imagine, I don't know, like I, like I said, I've met him a handful of times. I don't know him very well. And I've, I've talked to Andrew, Angela a little bit more, his, his performance coach. Um, but I would, I would imagine that half the reason why he hasn't signed a contract for next year is because you're thinking like, oh, look, like it's amazing. And this is what he loves. And it's his biggest passion. But there's a conflict of, of values there because it has, you know, is motorsport probably the best thing for the environment? Definitely not. You know, it's like there's, um, so it's probably a, a conflict of values there. And has, does he need to be doing it? May, arguably, maybe not anymore. But does he want to go and push for that eighth world championship? Yeah, of course he does. So um, I think that's probably a big, big decision and big thing for him um, in the coming, in the coming days or weeks. Man, I, I just think that's beautiful. And honestly, when I saw you work with him and just your stance, I think you had a uh, you had a post on your Instagram, which is uh, at uh, Coach Matt Dickens. If you guys follow him on Instagram, it's great. He's got workouts in there and he's even lifting his baby up. So if you, if you have a kid and you can't get to the gym, just take your kid and lift him up and you can both of you can get a workout. He'll probably puke on your shit on you, but still, you get a good workout that way. So follow him on Instagram at Coach Matt Dickens. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Go to his, uh, his website, which is... Uh, uh, atlasperformance.co.uk yeah, that's the Atlas Health Performance. Yeah, Atlas Health Performance. I honestly, go to that. He's, it's incredible what he does. And who you are as a person is even better. We didn't even get a chance to talk about the cold therapy. I do the same thing, too. I've, I've been taking cold showers since uh, uh, March. I've been doing that since March. And I, wanted you, and I wanted you real quick to tell me how my diet is. Here's what I do. I wake up in the morning. Here's my diet. I'm going to tell you. I always start off with a smoothie, okay? And because of you, I was, I was doing my research on you. And I swear to God, Sunday night, I'm trying to listen to a podcast, trying to think of what, you know, what to ask you. And you got to start talking about your vegan lifestyle. And I got so hungry listening to you talk. I literally paused your podcast. I literally paused the podcast you were on and went and got me a vegan burrito from Chipotle. I, I literally did that. I stopped and I, went and, got a, and I went and got a burrito Sunday night at about 730. I went and got a burrito all because you all go, you know, all this talk about food is making me hungry. So I went and got one and got with, with sofa fritas and black beans and I made it a vegan burrito and I went and ate it and I thought about you. So here's, here's when I start off. I start off with a smoothie and I have I squeeze lemons or limes in it uh today was orange oranges and then i put coconut water and then i put a teaspoon of uh turmeric i cut ginger i cut fresh ginger in it i put ginger sprinkling and usually it's uh frozen bananas uh strawberries 
uh, and pineapple, and then I put uh, then I put uh, Irish sea moss in it, a couple of a teaspoons of Irish sea moss in it, also uh, with some collagen, and then I uh, top it off with some agave, and then put maybe some uh, raspberries and blueberries in it, and so how's that for a start for the morning? Is that pretty good? Is that pretty good? <laughs> sounds really nutrient dense, man. Good. <laughs> I'm just the, the only thing I say is it sounds like there's a well. The only thing I say is when people obviously ask me, oh, yeah, like I can't lose weight or like whatever, I think liquid calories. So smoothies are great. They're a great way to get loads of nutrients in in one go. I love the ginger and turmeric, like all anti-inflammatory as well. But like when you, so many people eat smoothies and think that they're being like really healthy, but just because they're healthy, they're probably like loads of calories in there. So for people who are trying to lose weight, for example, I always say, oh yeah, just cut out the liquid calories, yogurt, smoothies, alcohol, fizzy drinks, whatever it is, take that out because you've probably got like 500 calories in a glass. <laughs> but I work it out because I work out so hard. I mean, we got to work out together one day. We're, we've got to do an MMA workout together. I did one yesterday uh, with, uh, I do a, a Muay Thai gym. So we got to do an MMA workout out man the next time when everything when all this bullshit's over me and you get in the gym together i really can't run anymore because it hips but we'll get in the gym together we'll do an mma workout we'll do maybe do some strike or some strike or maybe some ground game or whatever and we'll i'll i'll see what you got you see what i got we'll meet in the middle you, you should have said that before bt because i always had the pads always had gloves and pads at every track well, I didn't want to make you look bad. I mean, I, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I, you're getting paid. I didn't want, you know, like, oh, man, that black dude's beating him up. I don't want, you know, and then I get arrested and I won't get out of jail because I'm in Spain. I don't know how to say bail in Spain. To, um, I used to spar with um, Paul Espargaro's um, manager, Poma, uh, Ahmed, like quite a lot until I clocked him on the nose and then he never <laughs> And it was pure accident as well. I was just, just pulling the bag. And out of nowhere, I just gone bang. And I was like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, you know what? Maybe we won't spar. Maybe we won't spar. We'll just, uh, we'll get a nice track walk. How about that? We'll get a nice track walk. And how about that? We'll just... Yeah, that would be good. Be good. Man, dude, I got, a, uh, I got another show to do. My God, man, we're going to do a part two. I, I, I want to talk to you about being a dad, which is, which is, I'm so happy for you. We'll get to that. You know, we got, I, I just, I, I, this, this hour is not enough. And I want to get more into you. Like I said, when just studying on you. I, I just love everything you're about, the positivity and everything. So we'll do definitely do a part two. And hopefully your neighbor won't be doing construction. And maybe the baby be older, but <laughs> whatever. And we'll do that. We'll definitely do a part two. Thank you so much for your time. Like I said, I know you got a kid and, and, and time is, is, is crucial to you. So thank you so much for this. I mean that. Go to his website. Follow him on Instagram at Coach Matt Dickens. I promise you'll have a workout for you. Even if you don't have any weights, this guy is incredible. He will teach you to become a better person, a better athlete, and have a better body and overall look of life because his positivity exudes once you talk to this guy. So thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate you. Thank you for watching Tales from the Gym, and I appreciate everybody. And like I said, about this time. Bye.